Hello and welcome to the Intentional Soul, the home for the highly functioning spiritual types out in the world. It is here that we look at the world and ourselves through the lens of higher consciousness, connecting deeply to who and what we really are. Now, my name is Tom Ross, spiritual teacher, healer, spiritual nonconformist, and I am your host for these conversations. On the Intentional Soul, we hear not only from me, but from people who are living intentionally, openly, and authentically in their world. We'll hear their stories of personal transformation while sharing best practices and tactics to help you get the most out of this game called life. Now, nothing is off limits as we seek to expand ourselves and our awareness and live, ultimately, our most authentic lives. Let's dive in. All right, welcome. So very, very excited here today. We have Kara Payton with us. Now, Kara is a published author. She's a speaker and a nervous system and subconscious reprogramming expert. And she's a top 10% ranked podcast host with seven years of experience working event production. You've got a pedigree, Kara. It's Tony Robbins, uh, you know, working on his production. You've got a, your host of the Happiness, uh, Happiness Habit podcast and founder of The Unshakable Woman. Kara trains highly driven women to reset their nervous systems and reprogram their subconscious. And you do this through an integration of neurological reprogramming and really physiological immersion and the smattering of spiritual practices as well. And uh, that's honestly, I've never heard anything like it. It's a revolutionary immersive pros, immersive approach to mental and emotional wellness. That's a mouthful. And it's so incredible. How do you leave any of it out and welcome? Thank you so much for having me. You certainly pan it nicely. And it does it. I, every time I hear it come out about how full bodied it is, I get more and more proud of the corner of the world. We're trying to, uh, we're trying to change and help. It really is, uh, is phenomenal. Would you mind kind of, uh, you know, telling a little bit about yourself and your background and just kind of give us a frame of reference for who you are and really what brings you, you know, into this chair today? Absolutely. I was just like anyone kind of going through life with a, a default mode that I was completely unaware of this mental and emotional home that I lived in was something heavily influenced by childhood trauma and a tumultuous chaotic childhood um, multiple dysfunctional, even abusive relationships and some struggles with, uh, PTSD and postpartum depression, and just kind of a, a slew of so many things that could have very well held me back. If I had allowed myself to continue to follow that trench through where it was taking me and it eventually led to suicidal ideation and things of that nature. So as I spun out during multiple relationships and the birth of my children and just noticed my mental, my mental and emotional world kind of just seemed to be spinning more and more out of control. It, uh, it kind of brought me to one of those life existential crossroads, like most of us in this space reached and we all opted for the path least taken. And since then it's been a wild journey and I'm super, super grateful for it. And that type of that type of journey I did, I feel like I could say I went about it the long and hard and painstaking way. And my goal and approach is to meet people at that crossroads when either they're at the pain leverage where things are just getting way too hard and they have all of these questions and they feel trapped and stuck inside their own self-inflicted suffering, but they don't realize it's self-inflicted. So my role is to help stand next to someone and just kind of 
be the flashlight to what they're looking at as they're exploring this internal dialogue and all of these things that are going on inside of them. So that way they do not have the limited perspective trying to teach itself an unlimited perspective. And so I I opt to use my story and my own transition and all of the, the lumps in the rug that I had to get out. And I help people walk through that process as opposed to standing on the hill of, you know, like most of the, the coaching or the wellness or the mindset industry, the healing industry, a lot of times the structure is yelling out the, the way to go or what to think and what to do and how to feel and the, the facts of the matter as if they're not nuanced to everyone's complete story. And then we expect them to somehow make it to the top. And in the bottom you know, we are doing ourselves a disservice as a healer because we have to go below and push up and sometimes it's forced and they're not ready for it. So I opt to go side by side with someone and help them refer to themselves and ask themselves internal questions and watch them come up with their own revelation. That's incredible. And I have like five questions. So number one, uh, it would be really amazing, don't you think, if there was just an easy button, you know, so you didn't have to inflict all the pain. Uh, I'd like to go I back to. It. <laughs> I like to go back for your uh, back to your story uh, a, a little bit, which is how long ago did you have uh, your your breakdown moment, like your your kind of like enough is enough moment, where you you know where you had to choose something else, and you began to notice uh, notice these things uh, that you were experiencing. Uh, absolutely. Um, it started to really, really, really come off the rails in 2013, 2014, but my moment occurred in 2015. Awesome. So, so 2015 and then, and then you essentially went through, uh, your own process of, uh, so, so it sounds like you were in 2015, was that when the suicidal ideation, uh, was happening? It really, honestly, my childhood was kind of, I matured way faster. I had to grow up faster than I usually did. So I had more mature thoughts about the existential side of life and was asking myself very, very complex questions that I could not answer at a very young age. So I would say that my first real flirtation with the idea of not being here anymore, or just that self-loathing that really started to become more kinetic than potential I was, I was probably 14 or 15 when those really started to birth a new concept of like whether or not I wanted to be here. So, and then it. it reached a critical mass after postpartum depression went on untreated and became kind of a postpartum psychosis where that line is blurred. A lot of people talk about postpartum depression and as it, as it is a stigma or something maybe wrong with the mother, but it's actually just this chemical imbalance that's never treated after labor and delivery and any kind of traumas or anything that pull into the fold with that combination becoming what it was and forming into postpartum depression. If it goes untreated, these chemicals reach kind of a critical mass where they become incredibly destructive. They become almost like a neurotoxin and postpartum psychosis is then when the mind is so fogged with all of these chemicals, it doesn't actually recognize a morality point or a right from wrong. And this is where you see mothers harm their children or do things Mm -hmm. that are, that don't make a lot of sense. They hear a baby crying and they, it's stressing them out. They're in such a survival mode that they actually put their babies outside in the cold. So they won't hear the crying anymore. And it doesn't, the brain doesn't register that that is not, it's completely disconnected from that nurturing mother nature. And I, I went, I went there 
briefly and then immediately was treated. But after that, it had reached already a point where definitely highly self-destructive behaviors and thoughts and feelings and emotions and mental spirals started to take off. Got it. Got it. And, and what was your, what was your path to, to healing? So you hit, you hit this point where it all came to a head. The moment was in 2015. And then, and then what, what was your process to, to begin coming out the other side of that to land where you, where you are right now? Probably the most explosive life top-down demolition that you can imagine. So I had established a false narrative somewhere in the lines of 18 to 24, where I decided that because I was in such mental struggle all the time, I looked at people who were not, and I started to notice a trend that they were successful. They had a lot of money. They were um, affluent in their communities and things like that. So I kind of established this checkbox list of what was going to help me mentally and emotionally was going to be attaining all of these things. So I went external. I was trying to collect all of this protection and pad and insulate myself from my own emotional stuff. I was essentially trying to avoid and numb and distract myself with all of this busyness. So I did. I climbed the ladder. I was making six figures, sometimes six figures per month. I had had this huge house. I had, you know, the big Mercedes and all of this. I was pivotal member of my community. I had climbed the ladder, gotten married, sealed up all of my mental and emotional mess with this nice package that looked like I had gone through it. And I'll never forget the day that I was leaving a, either a Bible study or something at the community the school volunteering. And I pulled up in my driveway and immediately after opening the door, I had this hollowing feeling that I was walking into someplace that I was not supposed to be. Mm. And it was similar, you know, when you, when you accidentally walk into somebody else's home, you're in the wrong place and you're like, Oh gosh, I'm sorry. And, or you turn someone over, you tap them on the shoulder, you're thinking it's someone and it's not that person. That was that same unfamiliar feeling I had walking into my own home And I walked all the way in and I could scan the room and intellectually be able to process, this is my home, but nothing about, I was so removed. Something had, something had completely not checked in with me while I walked in. It was just this physical body in this room. And I remember having this panic feeling of, damn it. I did all the work. I checked all these boxes. This was supposed to work. I remember even thinking to myself, the jig is up. The the facade is over. I've done everything I knew to do. And it's taken me years to get here. And I have all the things and I still feel like this. And I just had, I, I stood there shaking my head for a good 10 minutes. And I remember audibly for the first time, you know, I was, I was very heavy into religion then. And prayed because of an obligation and a sense of duty. And it was very much according to scripture. And it was never me to direct to God. And this was a moment where I spoke audibly from my heart directly to God, the universe, wherever I was trying to, at this point, I didn't care who was on the receiving end. I just needed something to come out of me in in a confession type. And I said, God, if this is all there is, I've done everything. If this is all there is, let me have peace with it because I've been working so hard to have this peace and it is still the box I can't check. But if it's not all there is, and I'll 
I remember using these words and not having any clue what I was truly asking for. I said, if this is not all there is to life, break me open and show me what I'm missing. Fast forward three weeks. I'm in Japan. I lived there for a month. I came back home, sold everything I owned, filed for divorce, moved into an empty house. Two days before Christmas, I'm eating Christmas dinner on a Home Depot box. And in that place, not the established house with all of these things built up around me to secure some semblance of hiding, in that empty house with nothing to my name, you would think that I would be terrified. And I felt free. I felt unlimited. I felt authentic. I felt safe. I felt like the the game was over and I could be me. And I felt such a sense of love and grace and acceptance for whatever was about to happen from here on, from this life point on, I knew that whatever was going to happen was going to be infinitely better than this puzzle that I kept trying to fill in to make sense for everybody else. And so that was, um, that's literally the day everything changed for me. It's really, really beautiful. And the thing, the word that keeps coming into my head over and over again, um, and I'm relating it, I'm hallucinating uh, a similar experience that I have. I've had different points in my own life is like this idea of, of surrender. Like there was a, there's a point at which like you had surrendered to whatever is going on, like this ain't it. And then now I'm in this other space being authentic. And, and I, I recall I left, I left home. I left everything that I should have rationally and reasonably had, had, have done in my life left, uh, left college after this first semester of my junior year. And I likened it and I moved across the country where I knew no one. And I likened that feeling to when the decision was made, it was like, I was in like in the, in the, the boat, like on the rapid, like it was in the flow and it was just like, kind of like going. And that's, as you're, as you're describing your experience, I'm relating it to it through my filters and, and thinking about like feeling, you know, feeling surrendered and feeling, you know, like liberty of I'm in the flow. Whatever's happening now is, is my expression of myself. I just don't know necessarily what it's going to look like. And um, I don't know if that if that resonates for you at all, but that that's that's how I'm relating to it. And I think it's absolutely incredible. Surrender is a perfect word now, having more of a sophisticated perspective on it. Back then, it definitely felt just I was so in so much pain trying to fake it and hold it all together and keep up appearances that I remember even saying to myself, I just wanted to throw a match behind me and walk. Mm. And it was more or less just give it up, burn it all down. It was, I was just repulsed by this facade that I made it. It almost disappointed me that I was, that I had spent so long trying so hard to build an entire character that I had nothing to do with my authentic self. So surrender came later and I learned the process of surrender being a little bit more gentle than just selling everything and running away. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. But uh yeah, so give up became surrender. So there's something that I'd, I'd love to parse just uh, just a little bit here and that is like this idea of that you'd built this 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 particular 
facade, you know, something that, that wasn't you or you were, and was it the case that you were like truly playing a part or was it just more like, I'm going I'm to attempt to kind of like to, to state this. I'm going to, I'm going to fumble over this question and see if I can get to the, the meat of it. So you can, you can answer. I don't know you and who you were uh, and who you were back then. Right. I, I have no idea. You ring very authentic, you know, uh, to me right now. And if I had to guess, my guess would be that you weren't intentionally inauthentic or misleading for the sake of something or your benefit, or maybe you were. My my guess would be that that uh, that there was just something a matter of like it was almost like you found yourself ten miles down the road that just was the wrong road. And there was something raw inside you that was saying that. So I, I give that context to ask the question specifically, was it the case that you were living inauthentically, like intentionally, or was it more a matter of, was it more a matter of you just got so far down and you had this raw feeling that, that this isn't what you were supposed to be doing? That's an amazing question. And that's never been asked before. My answer is actually a little bit of both. I actually had intentionally started out that I was going to build this more acceptable or more, because I had a family dynamic that was very, I had part of my family who was legitimately concerned for what I was becoming. And I had some of my family who was, un. it's interesting to try and can it in language. There is just a I was adopted mm-hmm. and that dynamic I played out in my head and made certain assumptions and judgments of myself being unwanted and this hallucination of a story that I had been given up by someone. So therefore I had less value. And I viewed everyone from that lens of their, everyone, even be it friends, people in school, siblings, um, just anyone in general, they were a biological, full-bred, full-wanted person. And I existed down here as a very unwanted, you know, orphan child. And so I, even with friends, I would overcompensate. They didn't have to give me much love. They didn't have to give me much attention. I was just happy to kind of be in the room and be included. And so I operated from that, from that lens. So part of it in the way that I relate to another side of my family was very much so that they reinforced that with very blatant favoritism and not so equal treatment. But I also magnified that and made it my entire life story, which we often do. We take a childhood drama and we don't realize or childhood trauma. And we don't realize we replay this on loop throughout. This is the way we view the world. Um, So there was a huge dynamic that affected the way that I chose to compensate for that later in life. I thought, you know, this is who I really am. It's not loved. It's not wanted. It's not good enough. So I'm going to start building up an outside exterior that people think I've proven them wrong. People think that now I'm good enough. Now I want to be wanted. There was a manipulation very much present in the start of my journey because I wanted to look a certain way. But then I thought my hallucination when I started that that process was that at some point, it would benefit me and I would be better. I would be enough. 
And so it, it was, it, it became, it started off as what you just, the first part of it. And then it became, I got down, too far down the road and realized this, this is not sustainable. So what you're pointing to is something that, that we've talked about on, on different podcasts is, you know, the, your fundamental misperception, we call it in, in my, in my discipline, uh, discipline or your primary program or your primary like limiting belief. And it's either an expression of, of worthy, you know, or enough, you know, and, and there's a million different variations, you know, of that. So was it, did you, did you make a conscious decision to, I'm going to fit in, in this particular way, or I'm going to belong, or I'm going to prove like, was that, was that conscious or unconscious when you, well, when you, when you started out looking back, you can see it clearly at the moment. What was it? So fitting in and belonging are often lumped into the um, lumped into the same objective, but they're actually two very opposite things. Belonging is, is a true sense of it is, is belonging because you're authentic belonging because you are your own pole and you are authentic to yourself. And we all belong to each other, no matter what, that's kind of an inherent thing, but it is something that you have to accept. And if you push it away, you settle for fitting in. And that is 100% what I did throughout my formative years, as far back as I can remember, I was okay to stand out when I was little and I loved it. I was sunshiny and happy-go-lucky. I sang throughout the rooms. I was very, very bubbly and bouncy and fun. And somewhere along the line, the childhood traumas that I had experienced and being told, you know, you're too much, quiet down, sit down, go back, you know, it, all those things that get programmed into you that, you know, school, even just, even just little things, you, you wouldn't, you would be so surprised at how someone's little comment about how you're too much or you're too loud or you're too colorful or you're too whatever starts to shift your own self-perception. And I became very concerned with, well, I actually want to belong in this dynamic or fit in settling for fit, fitting into this dynamic. So I observe what you wear. I observe what you say. I observe your volume. I observe your mannerisms. I observe your habits, your patterns, your friend groups, your hobbies. And I start to adopt things that are no longer me. And getting back around to your question, I absolutely consciously chose that this, that's not what I like, but I want to look like that's not what I want, but I'm going to play the game because I'd rather belong or fit in than I would rather be than to be myself. Got it. How would you, you know, we'll so we'll save that for, for the end. I've got a, a question I'll, I'll ask you at the end that we will, uh, that will address uh, this specific idea, but thank you so much for, for that, that background. I think it's uh, it just paints such an incredible uh, picture and, and extraordinarily inspiring. So if you think about, um, you know, you were, 20 miles down the road on the one. And then all of a sudden you made this giant pivot, you know, is, is what you're doing right now, is it different from what you might've imagined your life was going to look like, or is this kind of like at some level, some of what you are always knew you were going to be doing uh, with your life? I can honestly say that if I had stayed authentic to who I was when I was a little girl, I was a gifted writer. I was such a brilliant storyteller all the way, I mean, I'm single digits in age and I'm coming up with wild stories and vivid imaginations. And I was an artist, a really, 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 really talented artist just by 
nature. I could draw something that was so real because I had no filter of what I was actually observing. I didn't pull it through any form of inauthentic thing. You see an eye and you draw the almond shape and then the circle and another circle. I didn't because I, that was, that was a symbol. That was a filter of what an eye was to the rest of the world. I saw an eye with intricate little shapes within an iris automatically from when I was a little kid. So if I had stayed truth to that, I was told I was going to be a starving artist if I pursued art when I, I think I was in a teen, teen years when I was actively pursuing that. And then it came time for my parents to pay for a college tuition and realized the art school that accepted me is pretty pricey. So they just opted to discourage my, that path for me. And I, I took it tuck tail and, and hook, line and sinker and said, okay, I do not want to starve to death. Art's not going to pay the bills. And so I left it plainly in the background I still write, but I didn't, I thought that writing art, any of that was going to be, was going to be not fruitful. It was never going to be the way that I chose. It was going to be a hobby at that point. I regaled it and shelved it to being a hobby. And I went into the restaurant industry at first and, you know, it was, I could find myself passion, impassioned by anything. And so I kind of just went through this journey of whatever job, whatever thing comes to me, I could take it. And then my first son, I found out he was being abused in his daycare center. And mm. so the requirement to make a decision that was more intentional and had one, one stipulation. Now my son needs to be with me charged my journey into entrepreneurship. And I failed photography in high school, but I ended up becoming a 20 year photographer. And it it was it offered me the freedom. And just because it offered me enough comfort to have built all of that stuff before my world kind of caved in on me, I was very comfortable at being the photographer. And I thought that was going to just be my, my stick until I was an old lady in a flower shop or something. So I had no real, I had no real desire to be anything specific but if I had remained authentic to my little girl's wants, I would have been a writer and an artist with 30 years of experience by now. And you stumbled into, you know, photography and visual arts as a way to, as a way to, to provide flexibility and support your, I mean, that's, that's incredible. I mean, that's every, may not be watercolors. However, like it's a visual medium. It's just absolutely amazing. Do you still, do you still take, uh, do you still take pictures? Now, do you, are you still into photography? I, I am. It, um, it's very much after 20 years, you can imagine the bonds that I have built with some of the families that I took their senior photos, then their engagement photos, then their maternity photos, then the wedding photos, then their first newborn photos, then their child growing up, then their family photos. I mean, it's, it's the generation, the connection that I've been able to build that came out of nowhere. I was not expecting, I didn't like photography. <laughs> so to be so in love with the hundreds and hundreds of families that I have grown so close to just last weekend, I actually walked into a home in Palm Springs. I'm, I'm in Kansas city, but there's a family that used to fly in from Alaska into Kansas city. And they've, they've come from all over the world um, to, to get their milestones photographed. And I walked into a home in Palm Springs and the little, the little girl there, even though I might see them, once or twice a year, she ran to the door up to me and I'm just the photographer. So it's been a gift. It's been a huge gift and a huge blessing and I'm still doing it. And I will probably always do it. It'll become a little bit more of a hobby than it is now, but, uh, it definitely, it definitely has my heart. 
Awesome. So tell me, you you make a you're pretty specific to to talk about in your transition from from kind of the lowest point to to where you are now. You were able to get you were able to to do that healing process and get through that process uh, without therapy or medication. Yeah, I think is is what I is is what I recall reading. Is that correct? It is correct. Yes. Would you mind like um you know and and therapy uh, therapy and medication are incredible and they have they have this incredible place uh, in in our world and. At the same time, I think that there is uh, there sometimes um, there are other modalities, and sometimes uh, the expression is when you're a hammer, everything looks like a nail, you know. So sometimes with uh, with respect to certain types of therapy or certain types of, of medication, we're hammering symptoms and not addressing root causes. Not all the time, but sometimes. In your experience and through your process, how were you able to to go through your own healing process without using these uh, traditional modalities? So in my initial start, being in the world without any, with just your average everyday ignorance to what those types of things are designed for, I, when I initially started bumping up repeatedly against the question, what's wrong with me? I initially thought, well, people use therapy. Maybe I need a, maybe I need a pill. Maybe I need a medication. And so I opted to go into it and it, it felt very, very unhelpful to be in therapy, talking about the same problems over and over without being engaged toward any kind of solution. And I was running up against the internal question of what end is this supposed to reach for me? What am I supposed to be gaining from this? Because I feel like I just carve out these wounds fresh again, just to live in a horrible state in that remembrance. And then just to come back next week and kind of do it all over again. But then the medication would rob me of the emotions and I could not feel. Mm. And so it felt that I was never able to really do any of the deep dives And so what I've learned now from that perspective is there are absolutely places for therapy, 100%. There are people that have been through things that absolutely have to have a trained professional to help them sort through and organize what's going on in their mind. However, the damage is done when we're just ruminating and we're consistently opening old boxes. We're not doing anything about them. We're just, it's like opening a sentimental photo that's really, really painful, looking at it again not readdressing or finding out a way that we can define this story as something that supports us. And we're just closing the box, open it back up, closing the box, open it back up. And it just reinforces that synapsis and that connection without healing ever in sight. The medication also 100% for people who do genuinely have a chemical imbalance and they need this type of support. It is a game changer. However, In our world today, especially in the mental health and emotional wellness era and game where it's become such a machine for people, we're not, it's the only part of the brain. It's the, it's the only thing that we are making massive diagnosis about and treating without looking at the body part. If there's not a chemical imbalance or if there is a chemical imbalance, it doesn't matter. They're given the same, they're given the same medication and put through the same machinery. I didn't need medication. I needed healing. I didn't need therapy. I needed to, I was very good at sorting and thinking through what was going on and asking myself introspective questions. I didn't need therapy. I needed someone to go, okay, what now? And move through it. Religion, 
for me was the next step. I left therapy thinking, okay, this does not work. This is not for me. I must not. Now I know that it was because I did not have an actual imbalance or a specific thing I needed to sort through. Those tools were for that. Religion for me was hollowing as well because it seemed like I needed to deal with this inherent flaw that there was something wrong with me because of the way I was born, a a sinner, someone with inherent evil qualities that needed to be expunged or washed away by some external force. And I needed to accept my inherent badness. And that felt awful. And it felt against everything that I knew. And as I looked at the little girl inside of me, I was like, there's no way that she was born into this world, a horrible person that needed saving from her everlasting, hollowed, empty soul. And so religion did not work for me. I found Tony Robbins and there was so much empowerment and so much control and so much knowledge gained from how well you could involve yourself and participate in mindset modalities and thought control and really steering the ship and getting it practiced in a better way. However, it missed the emotional trauma piece, the body keeping the rest of the score. This was the neck up type work. Mm -hmm. And while it was incredibly helpful, again, it left me still in greater need of more support. It was, it felt like, okay, well, that's the icebergs taken care of. What about the stuff under the, the ocean level? And then I moved into spiritual practices, somatic healing, et cetera, and started healing the body and healing all of the emotional triggers and all of the emotional trauma and pain and doing the self-inquiry work. And so the problem I still ran into is not knowing the science behind what was happening. I knew the mind-body connection. I knew there was something to the spirituality piece. I knew there was something to the mindset piece, but I needed something to bring it all full circle. And so I finally got into the neuroscience of things and it started to staple down true fact, the proof of the pudding for the skeptic in me that was trying to find a, a path forward and it solidified the feet under me. So that is why I've created something that is just full circle for anyone who doesn't need permanent medication and lifelong therapy, who wants to actually get into the work and truly heal. Talk to me about it. What does that process look like with you? And you mentioned uh, earlier, it's, you know, you're, it's, you're on the field, you know, with, uh, with somebody. So, so what is your process to help people uh, psychologically spiritual, spiritually, emotional, you know, emotional body, how do you create this kind of, you know, wholeness and this integration so that people can heal and move uh, and, and be empowered and move forward? That's a wonderful question. And to put it simply is we, we have to find someone in their absolute honesty. We have to do a self audit and an inventory their mental state, their emotional state, their physiological state, their spiritual state. And we have to pull this all on the table where they average, what their habits are. And we do a full audit of everything. And I call it the, per the perception, the point where we, the point where we are, we map that out and we put a tack in that to find out where we're starting. So I can then find them on their journey because I could be anywhere. If I don't know where they are, I'm again, charging 
shouting something from the wilderness, hoping they eventually find me. It's, it's so the way that it it's, it's so archaic, the way that it's done now is you see success. You, you think you just model success and copy success, but we're not dealing with anything that's going on to block them from that. And so I find the pin in the map that helps me to get where they are. And then we do a purge. So we take everything that is audited from their, from what we've discovered And then we decide very clearly what no longer serves us, what stories have been the most painful, the traumas that are in our way, and the subconscious underlying beliefs that have held them back. And then in the purge, we go through any number of soma healing and breath work or meditations, habits and rituals, affirmations, any type of things that we need to reprogram their thoughts, reprogram their emotions, reprogram their behaviors, reprogram their identity. And then from there, we solidify that with the last, with the last of the three P's called the promise. And this is where we identify the type of person and the type of life we want to live from here on out. And then we reverse engineer all of that because anything that's identity-based will create choice and will create daily action steps and will create the path. All we have to do is get people to learn how to self-reference everything in their life they self-reference it to who I am going forward. And they, that's when I'm the coach that's designed to be fired essentially, because if you still need me to reference in six months or a year, I've failed to do my job and you failed to have the groundwork laid for you properly so that you can walk. So it's creating someone to be their own master, their own healer, their own coach, their own best friend, their own parent, all of that. That's outstanding. And uh, I've got an old mentor that used to used to say, uh, be a self-cleaning oven, right? So you're <laughs> teaching, teaching people to be a self-cleaning oven. You have, uh, you, we were talking before the podcast, uh, a workbook and a project that you're that you're getting ready to bring into the uh, bring into the world right now, um, on the heels of describing for us, this incredible modality that you've you've discovered. Uh, would you mind talking a little bit about about this next uh, workbook you have coming out? Absolutely, I'm so so excited about it because it. I realized after one-on-one coaching for a certain amount of time that I want to make an impact that's so much larger than an individual, and it required my faith, my trust, and my surrender that if given the right tools and the right questions, everybody can go through this process on their own, and what a gift and what a self-empowering thing to do to be able to create your own healing. So the workbook is essentially going through that process of where I would find somebody basically becoming the person who self-references where they are, what they need to get rid of, who they're going to be. And it's just, it's dialogue throughout that process where they participate in their own rescue. And then on the cusp of that, there's also pages and in Internally, when we go through these processes, there's going to be so much that comes up that is a curveball that's not expected. And so I have various pages on if we have a particularly stubborn subconscious thought, a barrier of belief, something that really still nags at us, emotional suffering or emotional crisis that comes up, et cetera. And I walk them through a questioning process to release any number of subconscious barriers, any limiting beliefs, any points of suffering, any type of 
just any type of tangle that they cannot untangle. And it's a process to basically walk them through an emotional or mental crisis on the spot. So the workbook is, if I were to clone what I do and give anybody easy access to it. That's awesome. It's like a field guide to emotionally thriving. (laughs) Essentially, yes. Becoming your own, just unconditionally, unshakably happy, joyful, successful, whatever it is that is your North star, whatever it is you truly desire. And it's, yeah, it's, it's a field guide to whatever that North star is. Love it. So have you been a lone wolf in your development uh, into what you're doing right now? Or is there a support structure, a support group that you've tapped into? I know that you spent time uh, with, uh, with Tony and that was a, a big discipline. However, the transition you're making in, uh, you know, right now and, and bringing this work uh, more fully into the world, is that a solo venture or, or, or do you have a support group? I put the pen to paper myself. However, I would be nowhere without all of the, the mastermind groups, the mentors and the people that have come beside me to light fires where I didn't even know areas of my life and my mind and my heart could be flammable. And so I would be amiss to say that my journey is not completely owed to the people that have come beside me. My buddy, Randy Garn speaks so, so much life and so much future. He has spoken my future to me before I could see it. Um, I can call my friend, Ken Jocelyn, another wonderful, powerful mentor in the industry that is just, he's a soul He's a soul brother and he is there in the trenches. He's my 4 a.m. phone call. And then throughout my time post Tony Robbins world and all of the friendships that I developed there, my daily coach, uh, Alonzo Cahoon, those, those three men, I would say I owe, I owe the impact to by far. So, so great. Do you mind, because I've got one more question for you. However, I, I want to, because I, I just think this modality that you're bringing into uh, the world is very special. Would you mind if I, if I hallucinated my take on, on how you broke down what you do uh, for the audience um, so that they can maybe digest it in, in terms that aren't, uh, that aren't specific to, to having a, a framework of, 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 of personal development or modality. And then I want you to course correct me. If I'm off, you can, you can totally course correct me. Do you mind? Absolutely. Fire away. What I think that I heard, uh, and this is, this is, you know, kind of like an incredible all encompassing thing and I'm going to contrast it. Whereas let's say if you're doing something in a talk therapy standpoint, you know, it's, it's a great analogy you, uh, you had. It's like, you're opening up the, opening up the, uh, the emotional, uh, photo, uh, you know, photography album, and maybe you're experiencing that. Maybe you're opening up the same thing over and over again, not go anywhere. Maybe you're having a conversation and through that conversation, you can come to some kind of closure or release, whatever that's talk therapy. What the thing that you're, that you're describing as I underheard it was a complete kind of like a establishing a point, a, a psychological, you know, position of where you are in life, what's working, what's not working, uh, different areas that are that are functioning great, different areas that are functioning not great, and then essentially a pouring out to be able to reveal information, uh, you know, about uh, about where you are, and then there's a process of release uh, that uh, that occurs, which different modalities are deployed. 
However, um, you know, somatic, uh, you can give me the definition of, uh, of somatic I, stuff I've heard with somatic breath work, which I relate to like a Kundalini yoga kind of, uh, kind of process. I don't know if that's accurate or not. Of course, correct me if, if it isn't, but these particular modalities, when you've identified that there's, there's a block and I want to make sure that, you know, people who listen to, to this podcast know me. And they know, they know that there's an energetic component to, to things and, and what goes on. Like there are energetic blocks that you can utilize these techniques that you're deploying to actually release energetic information in the emotional body or in the spiritual or in the spiritual body, which then create an entirely different relationship with how you perceive yourself and what's, and what's possible. And then once you've got that kind of that purge period, uh, you know, period finish, and you've kind of cleaned the gunk out of the system then all of a sudden it's a, it becomes about uh, what I think I heard you say was developing, you know, where you're going, what you're committed to, what you, what you want to do and really mapping strategies and success to be able to not only, not only get there, but then maintain yourself through the process. Because as you indicated earlier, it's like your best case scenario is that, is that you run your course after a six month engagement because somebody is that self cleaning oven. So I want to point to that middle part and that release work, which is wholly unique and different than a lot of other modalities that uh, that people are going to run into, and something that's exquisitely valuable in in the processes you're going to take them through. Let me know if I did I what did I miss in that, or did I misstate? Because this is your life's work. Um, I don't want to gum it up with uh, with my you know faulty wiring here. You didn't gum it up. The only thing that I could add to it is to add the nuance of what actually occurs during that purge process, which is why it actually works. So in therapy, the thing that's amiss and why we end up going in and repeating our stories is because the way that we've chosen to define the story, the way that we've stored it in our memory and our bodies and everything doesn't actually change. We're in fact reinforcing it and we re-experience it. And our limbic system and our brain doesn't know when we're talking about this story, we actually put ourselves back in that scenario to be able to recall every gruesome detail. You know, you probably know exactly where you were on 9-11. Everybody usually does. Why? Because there was a feeling and emotion associated with it that stapled it to our mind. And so the same thing happens with anything in our lives that had an emotional attachment to it, whether it be extreme joy or extreme pain. But the thing is, There's nothing in your mind that will recall the positive or the good. Your mind is defaulted to all of the sharp edges, all of the danger, all of the negative and all of the bad. It doesn't have any place in it without being programmed to look for it. And program is something that we do by activating our reticular activation system, by telling our mind and uh, signaling to it what is important by repetition of the positive. But other than that, our default is negative. Our default is looking for safety by looking for danger. Doesn't look for safety, looks for danger and moves away from it. So in a therapy situation or in something that is not healed and continues to move, what doesn't happen is we do not question at any point what actually happened. We say this was the, we use our language and we say, this was the worst thing that ever happened to me. This is the most depressing day of my life. We do, and we make it huge and we make these mountainous stories about it. And it's not actually what happens to us that does any damage whatsoever. It's the, what we make it mean and Mm -hmm. we give it, 
we have a, it's essentially, I like to say it's like a, it's taking a wooden sword and our story exchanges it for the metal one that can actually do damage to us. And we do this with everything. And so as we define something, if it moves us into a stress response, we move into survival mode. And then we only have four modes. We either fight, flight, freeze, or fawn in any moment. And a lot of the times that's how we go through most of our relationships. If we have unhealed trauma, that's how we move through our career. If we have unhealed trauma, we stay in this response. If we do not correct course, correct to course, correct. I love the idea of instead of punctuating things with periods that happen to our life, start replacing them with question marks. What, what, what did actually happen? What is true? And if I think that that's true, what's even truer than true here? Because there's what I think, there's what anybody else involved or the situation, what they think. And there's then the fact of the matter, the unemotional fact of the matter. And if trauma is such a fact, and I, I struggle to work in the trauma-informed space sometimes because I believe in being trauma-uninformed, where our entire lives are dictated by what happens to us in the stories and the victimization model of some right. of these things. When we could very well, if trauma was a fact, we wouldn't have rape victims, shark attack survivors, breast cancer survivors, abused refugees, anything that live totally magical, beautiful, joyful lives. If trauma was a fact, there would be no exception to this rule. And yep. so I kind of, I tend to, be a little bit more, I get the eyebrows raised at my modality because it's a little bit unconventional. It goes right up to the line of what we are, what we talk about safely. And I go just beyond that and ask, well, what if that's not true? And so from there, we move into this ability to change the story and from there change the vibration of it. And from there change the way our subconscious translates that to the universe because the subconscious is literally the point in between us and the universe. It translates every single vibration, every single thought, every single emotion into what's going to be returned to us. And that's in a long and short way of saying it, we help change the language so that we can change the lens so that we can change the identity itself. Yes. So there's a recontextualization of, of whatever is being released. It's occurred in that, in that purge, which is, you know, which is key. And yeah, trauma is almost like, um, and I'm with you. Trauma is almost like an expression of an experience. You know, it's like, it's, it's the, it's the label that gets assigned to, uh, to something. And there are, you know, through collective, you know, through human collective, uh, decisions, you can point to things and say, that's trauma, that's trauma, that's trauma, that's trauma. However, moving through any trauma, there is only one way to move through any uh, trauma. And that is there's a fundamental release of, of the, the illusion of victim, you know, that's, uh, that, that, that occurs in that process. And so it looks weird from the outside. It sounds weird to say it. However, ask any, when you ask somebody who is, who is truly, transcended what was a trauma for them they no longer identify themselves as you know as victim if they're actually living in in an empowered state and so much like anything else it's like you have to go through the experience to have a direct opinion you know on it but the transcendence of trauma is the release of the illusion of victim there's no other way to 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 run it so true to piggyback on that and and reinforce it there's also the idea that what's 
what's weirder for someone to transcend their trauma and redefine it in a way that actually allows them to live the way that they choose or intend remaining a victim to a story that no longer, that only exists in our head Mm -hmm. of something that occurred 20 years ago. And when I hear, you know, the feedback or any kind of pushback, which I I totally welcome. And I I wish I, I absolutely welcome somebody to go through the process. I went through extreme trauma, all the kinds that you can mention. I've gone through them. I sit here today, one of the most happy, peaceful people that I know all the way through. So, and I do not view myself as a victim of trauma. And I've had some horrible things happen that I struggle to call horrible now, because if they hadn't happened and released a gift of me getting an invitation further and further and further into the highest version of myself in that surrender to release the idea and the illusion of suffering I can't think of anything more wonderful than that, not horrible. And so we work around this, I'm triggered, I'm triggered, I'm triggered, this is trauma, this is trauma, this is trauma. We're creating a more sensitive, immovable, raw, tender nerve for all of us to where none of us can even move around one another without you know my trigger falling directly in on the intersection of your own trauma. And we're just triggering each other. It's like, take responsibility for yourself do your own work. Our job is not to move around and further around and further around to disconnect each other. Because all it's going to do is if I trigger you by, by just this, eventually I'll be triggering you by just this. And then I'll be triggering you by just this. And then we won't be allowed to have any proximity or intimacy or true knowledge of one another. Authenticity will be impossible. And so will moving beyond the state of default. And I, I think it's weirder to remain stuck in the idea of being a victim to everything that's happened to you, then it would be to say, was that really trauma or was that an invitation? Couldn't agree more, you know, and, you know, empowering or being empowered, uh, you know, is, is unfortunately it's a decision that everybody has to make like individually. Right. So if somebody wants to sit in that space, okay. You know, it's, it's not what I choose. It's what other people choose or other people that are choosing it, you know, in, in mass as well, that creates a, you know, that creates, as you, as you indicated a society where it's like, you're walking on eggshells, you know, around, around everybody to a certain extent. And I can be at peace with anything that life, uh, you know, that life throws and, and either that's attractive to people or it's not a, or it's, or it's not attractive, you know, to, to some people. I don't have to be right about it because if I resist it in the world, then all I do is create it myself. And then, and then, you know, I'm, I'm losing my peace of mind. However, what I take a stand for is the same thing that you take a stand for, which is, you know, which is there's, there's a way to contextualize this. That's, it can be literally be the best thing that ever occurred in your life, despite how seemingly impossible that can seem in the moment, you know, and, Listen, uh, you know, I, I have a great degree of, of empathy for everyone who's experiencing, you know, uh, especially in the moment, you know, what the, you know, uh, what can occur. So kind of wrap up here. Um, if you were going to share someone uh, or share with someone, Kara, maybe listening, that's like longing, maybe, maybe they're in, a, they're in a position similar to you found yourself in, which is, which is they have this gnawing feeling something ain't quite right. And maybe they're really close to, to choosing themselves, 
and choosing to be more of who they really are, but they're still in that space where they're really afraid of what it might mean to really look under the hood of, of who they are, you know, and, and what they are and what they really want and what they really care about. What would you share with someone to, to get them to say, you know, to, to, you know, take the leap that you took? That's a beautiful question. And I would have to say that the most powerful thing that they can do in that moment of self-inquiry, where they're starting to wonder what's there, lean in and don't lean away. It's information. And because you can hear it, it's a sign that you still can hear it, which is an amazing thing. It's your highest self calling you to another level, calling you to a place that's truer than true, calling you to a higher state of authenticity. And if you trust that, and if you dare trust that, it will never prove you wrong. Your ability to trust yourself and turn to yourself, you are the only one that will be able to never disappoint yourself. And if you're having these questions, also know that they will not go away. It's by your design. We are spiritual, limitless, infinite beings that are having a temporary human experience. And if we can believe or buy into that just enough to lean into that internal questioning, we will be reunited with that infinite self. And um, it's a journey of self-trust, really, that the whole thing is a journey of self-trust. So beautiful. Kara Payton, thank you so much for hanging out with us uh, here today. This has been incredible. And how can people find you and reach you? Uh, my website's the happiest place on earth. I love it. I love the conversations that start there. And no matter where they are in their journey, whether it be starting, whether they're curious of what's going on, whether they need some help, they found some stuck points, or they're ready to just level up in general, that site is made for people in all walks of life. And then I am not a huge social media person. So I have chosen one and that platform is Instagram and it's just Kara Payton with an underscore at the end. And um, you can find some goofy quips. You can find some raw truths. You can find some interesting questions and all of my behind the scenes are there. Awesome. Thank you so much for being with us today and uh, look forward to continuing the conversation. You are a healer and uh, I love hanging out and talking to healers. So thank you so much. Thank you for having me. All right. This has been another episode of the Intentional Soul Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. Remember to leave a five-star review if you found this content of value. And as always, I'm your host, Tom Ross, Master Practitioner of the Advanced Rapid Enlightenment Process and Rapid Enlightenment Process developed by Matthew Ferry. You can reach me at Tom at TomRossTalks.com and the website to engage and be a part of any classes, trainings, or sessions I have going on is www.TomRossTalks.com. Until next time, peace. <laughs>